Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We're continuing with our journey <clears throat> with Paul and Barnabas. Let's read verses 1 through 8. It says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot about among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconian, to the Lyconian city of cities of Lystra and Derby, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. Let's stop there. Verse seven. I'm sorry. As this starts off, I love it in the verse one. As they went to the synagogue, which it says is what they usually did, and that's going to become prevalent in the next verses. And it's also something that we saw that Jesus did regularly, that he would go first when he'd enter into the city, into the synagogues. The synagogue, if the city had 10 males in that city, they needed to have a synagogue where they could worship. It was the requirements. And so it didn't have to be like a huge church. All there had to be was 10 guys there, 10 males, and they could have a synagogue there. And so they would go to the synagogue and they would do this first because this is where the people had at least a foundation of what they were talking about. Remember in Romans, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. To the Jew first because that's who had the promises and the prophecies of the Messiah. That's where God had spent his history developing and foretelling what was going to be happening. So they kind of had a head start to what was going to be happening. And so they'd go to the synagogues and then they would go on to the other places. But what I love about this verse is that it says that there they spoke so effectively and I love the New International Version. It says so effectively in the New American Standard. It says they spoke in such a manner that large numbers of people believed. The King James, it says they spoke that a great multitude both. I mean, the idea is how they did it was directly connected to the fact that a lot of people came to it. I know I've heard this and you've probably heard this as well. It doesn't matter. You just preach the word. That's all you have to do. Well, here apparently something else happened. It wasn't just that. They did it in a way that was effective. And it's important to recognize that there is a way to do things effectively. And there's a way to do things ineffectively. I have done things ineffectively. Has anyone else? Can I get an amen? <laughs> I have used the shotgun approach, you know, and it's like, okay, here's the gospel. Bam! You know, and here's another verse. Bam! And you just try and mow them down with the gospel, and it's ineffective. 
what I love about this is it really is in connection with what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, when he said to be wise, shrewd as serpents, but harmless as doves. And I love that imagery because the serpent, he's the crafty one. He's the one who beguiled. And, he, you know, that idea, be, be as crafty as a serpent, but be as harmless as a dove. And there is a way to be effective, and we need to recognize that, and we need to allow that to be something in our lives. Jesus, of course, was effective. How did Jesus speak? He spoke in parables. He told people stories that gave them visual imagery that connected them to the truth of God. Jesus communicated with people. I would love to. I actually tried to search this out, but I couldn't find it. At least not, it wasn't going to be in a time allotted manner. All the questions that Jesus asked throughout his ministry, how many questions did he ask? He asked so many questions, but he knows everything. Why is he asking questions? You know, who do men say that I am? You know, well, you know. You know, or he'd go to, you know, the person, what is the greatest commandment? You know, well, you know, what do you think? Or the woman at the well, you know, give me something to drink. Uh, there, there's so many things where he engages people and asks them questions. And I think that's interesting because it shows that Jesus is drawing from people. He's not just talking at people. A year ago, I wrote uh, two blogs that kind of stirred up a lot of things. Uh, one was called The Baby in the Bathwater. The other one was called Doctrine, Culture, the Eternal, and the Emerging. And the whole point of those two blogs was to talk about just this, being effective, about knowing the people that we're talking to and being effective in talking to them. And for some reason, when you say be effective, people think you mean watering down or compromising, and that's not what we mean at all. Never did I suggest, never is it suggested here in his effectiveness, was there compromise to what they were saying. They were just being wise. They were doing it in a way that connected the dots. They were doing it in a way that helped people to see what was taking place and understand it. They were being effective. And one of these blogs that I was talking about, I got a lot of people saying, oh, you're saying this. And they were saying I said things I never said. And I had this one comment who's from a friend and pastor who's out in the Fontana area. And he wrote back to me and he said, you know, bro, as I read the word, I find that it cuts across all cultures because they suffer from the same old thing, sin. And as I studied the word, I find that Jesus was always straight and forward with the people. He didn't dialogue. He was very real with them and let the chips fall where they may. If that's not an effective way to communicate, then nothing is. And that's kind of the, the response that a lot of people have. Hey, you just got to let the chips fall where they may. You got to say it. But that's not true. Jesus did dialogue. The woman at the well. He had a conversation with her. He asked her questions. He talked to her. If you knew who you were talking to, 
You would get water from me. I would give you eternal water. Sir, we see that the, the Messiah you know, is going to be here, but the Jews say here, no, you don't understand. God will be worshipped in spirit and truth. I mean, he, he dialogued with her. He communicated with her. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. He wanted, in fact, let's turn there real quick because that's an important passage. 1 Corinthians 9. Starting at verse 19, he said, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. If that's not being cultural, I don't know what is. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. I came and went to them just like he did in the synagogues. To the Gentile, I was like a Gentile that I might win them. And we're going to see that take place later on in this chapter as well as in chapter 17 when he goes to Athens. We see a definite different method of communication in Paul's ministry when he was with the Jews and when he was with the Gentiles. The message is the same. There is the need for salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. But how he communicated that message depended on who he was communicating to. He is being effective. And it's important that we realize that because if we've got the attitude, just let the chips fall where they may, I'm just going to... I had one person I asked for advice on doing a, a funeral. I was asking him what, how he did marriages and how he did funerals. He goes, Miriam, Barium, I say the same thing. And I was like, how can you do that? You know, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, but it was that kind of mentality. It's just, hey, I just preach the gospel wherever I go. It's like, well, there's a little bit of a difference you know, if you're at a marriage ceremony as opposed to as if you're at... A funeral service, at least I hope so. You know, one's dressed in white and is moving. You know? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, you just have to communicate to these people in a way that's going to be effective. Can you minister at a wedding? Oh, yes. Can you minister at a funeral? Oh, yes. Is it the same message? Yes, but it's different means for presenting this message. And you have to be wise. You have to communicate effectively. And so, for us, we need to understand, how do we communicate effectively? You know, Colleen, we were praying earlier just for the people here that you want to reach. How can we be effective? And that takes thought. It takes involvement. It takes 
understanding where they're at. It takes studying so that you can know how to communicate what you believe. But those things are all important because we want to be effective in our communication. And it says there, as they spoke effectively, that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believes, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. Wow, those are powerful words. They poisoned their minds against their brothers. First, I want to Notice that word, refuse to believe. It might say just disbelieved in your translation, but it really has the attitude of rebellion. It wasn't just that they didn't get it. It's they didn't want to get it. In fact, they wanted to oppose it. Ever come across people that just want to oppose what you believe? They just don't want to believe. It's not that they don't understand. They just are in rebellion against it. Sometimes kids can be like that when raising kids. Well, you're a Christian. I just don't want to be. Why? Because you are. You know, it's like part of that teenage thing sometimes. It's just like, well, that's what you are, so I'm, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to, you know, find my own path thing. And they just rebel. Not because they don't really understand. They just don't want to. There's a rebellion there. And, and so their rebellion wasn't just enough that they didn't want to believe, they had to poison the minds of other people. And I tell you, gossip and talking bad about people is such an epidemic in our, in our world. It's amazing, and it's, it's there with the church as well. It's there with the church as well. I, you know, every now and then, I get these words back about me, you know, of who I am and what I believe, and I'm like, huh? I don't believe that. What? Who's saying that? And it's you wonder, where does this come from? Who says that? You know, and you want to, what's going on? You, you know what? Some people, it's not enough that they just don't believe. They want to try and stir things up. And we can do that, too, if we're not careful. Start talking about people. What good's talking about people? What good is that to try and stir things up and, and deal with things that, just cause friction towards someone. You know, well, if I get them to think bad about them, they'll think good of me. I had teenage daughter, and well, she's still a teenager, but man, in those high school years, junior high, high school, oh my gosh. It, I could write volumes, but it would make you sick. I mean, it was just so much of the, the cattiness and the, the, you know, accusations. And if they liked the same boy, oh, give it up. I mean, it was just bad news. They were going to badmouth everyone they could, and they were going to talk about them. And pretty soon you just want to poison people's minds. And that's what was taking place. They, it's not that they didn't have the truth, and they were trying to combat the truth. They just wanted to poison people against them. It was vindictive. It was personal. And a lot of times that can take place. And what we want to get from this is don't let it happen with you. Don't you become vindictive. Don't you just try and get at somebody because we're all susceptible of this. We're all susceptible. When I, you know, when I hear things about me, oh man, I, I, I too can play at that game. I mean, my mind, I won't tell you about this. This isn't a confession. So uh, <laughs> we just need to guard our hearts and our minds that we don't go there, that we don't become vindictive, that we don't start trying to poison people's minds. What matters is the truth. 
And so it says that Paul and Barnabas, they, they spent considerable time there. And I love that because as people were combating them, they didn't just say, oh, well, give it up. They spent considerable time there. Even though people's minds were being poisoned, even though they're, imagine this, this is a real struggle. They were in a place where people are hostile against them and they stayed there to try and make the, mess, the best of that situation, to make the most impact in the lives of those people with the truth. So they stayed there a while because there was a lot of opposition. Usually we think if there's a lot of opposition, leave. It's not the Lord's will for you to be there, right? There's opposition. We should go. Let's go to where it's smooth sailing, like Hawaii, you know, or, or somewhere. I mean, but opposition a lot of times... That's where the work needs to be done. And sometimes it's done just battling. And so they stayed there and they battled it out. Also to note that it says in verse 4 that the Jews, others, others, they sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. Here the word apostles is used, but it's not the 12. This has to deal with Barnabas and possibly also with Paul. Apostolos means sent out. And remember, they were sent by the others in Antioch when they left. They were sent out. That's what apostolos means. Basically, I, I kind of see there being three sets of apostles. Jesus was the first apostle sent by God the Father. There are the twelve that Jesus sent out. Judas, of course, killed himself and then they brought one in to take his place. And then we see others being sent out throughout the book of Acts. And that's continuing today. People are still being sent out. And so the idea of apostleship is being sent out. But it's interesting to note because here it's used and it definitely is re in reference to at least Barnabas and probably also with Paul. And so we see them going and then all of a sudden they get word that they're going to try and kill them. And so they have someone on the inside who lets them know about this and they get out of Dodge. You know, they, they take off and they leave. And it's, you know, sometimes it's prudent to, to run. Sometimes it's a good thing to get out when you can. If you know that someone is hostile against you, well, get out of town. You know, get out, get out. And they left to, you know, they left and they fled in this area. And one of the things you'll notice about opposition, if you're right, and, and this happens in a court of law many times, if you're right and have the truth on your side, you can combat with the facts. If you don't have the truth, what you have to do is slander the opponent. In other words, if I can discredit them, it makes me look better. But if I have the truth, I just work the facts. And so here we see they're trying to poison their minds as they're just sharing the faith. God is honoring it, showing miraculous signs. If you have the truth, you can just share the truth. But if you don't have the truth, you've got to tear the other people down. And you guys see that in courts of law all the time. You know, the OJ trial, it was all about discrediting you know, the evidence kind of a thing. And so we see here that they leave and head out of there because there's persecution. They're following after them, trying to persecute them. Now let's read verses 8. Let's go down to just the first couple of verses, 8 and 10. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled 
in the feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him. He saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that time, the man jumped up and began to walk. These verses capture my attention because I, I love how it's describing the situation that Paul was speaking and this guy was listening to what he was saying. It reminds me of Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where it says, Faith comes by hearing. And I like the New International Version. It says, Faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. As this man was hearing the message of Jesus, it produced faith. And isn't that true with us as well? Have you ever gone to a Bible study and been down in the dumps? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, someone starts sharing from the scripture and you're listening to it. And you just, yes, you know, I will survive. You know, it's, you, just, you, you just feel alive. It's like, God is for me. Who can be against me? You just, all of a sudden, overwhelmed with faith. I, I can face tomorrow. You know what I mean? But you're just overwhelmed with this recognition and this swelling up of faith. Why? Because you listened to the message. The word of God just took root in your heart and it produced faith. Faith to believe. And how important is that? How important is that, you know, to be able to go and listen and hear the message, hear the words that God would speak to us through the scripture, through someone who's sharing, so that our faith can be energized, so it can be encouraged. And he heard, and I don't know what that look was. I wish, you know, I knew more about, I wish I could do this. You know, I wish I could look at someone, hey, you believe, get up and walk. I mean, how cool is that? What an amazing thing. And it's the same God who did the miraculous then, who, who works today. I know God heals. And just that awareness that Paul had, he saw he had faith to believe. And it's interesting because sometimes we see that they had faith to believe, but then sometimes the person's dead. They don't have any faith at all. You know, if you're dead, you're out of faith, you know, you're, you're out of time, you're out of luck. Uh, but here they had faith and Paul saw that. We saw in the gospel when the men laid down the paralytic, Jesus saw their faith of his friends and that resulted in the paralytic being healed. So it, there's different circumstances where faith takes place, but somewhere faith in God connects and the miraculous happens. And what an encouragement that should be for us just to allow faith to take heart and take root in our lives and then to be able to produce the miraculous, just as God would do a work. Verse 11, it says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Now, in the King James, it might say Jupiter and Mercury. One is the Greek name, the other is the Roman name. Okay, so it's kind of the, like Jorge and George, you know, one's the white name, one's the, you know, Latino name. It's kind of similar to that. Anyway, so they called Paul uh, Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and, and wreaths in the, in the city gates because he and the crowd 
wanted to offer sacrifice to them. So they saw this miraculous thing and it produced this. Now, why would it produce this? Well, there was a legend that believed that Zeus and Hermes had visited here before and that the people did not recognize them and so they destroyed the city except for two people. One was named Philemon. I remember that because of the book of Philemon. And the other name I, I didn't remember. But these two believed them. And so because they believed, Zeus and Hermes uh, made them into trees that were there by the temple. That was their, you know, thank you, you're now a tree kind of a thing. Okay. Gotta love Greek mythology. And so... There was this story that was circulating in this city that this had happened, and so the miraculous happened, and quickly their minds jumped to what they were familiar with. They connected those dots in their own mind, and so they ran out and they said, they're here, a miraculous thing had happened, and so they're going to bring out a bull, and they're going to bring out this wreath, and they're going to sacrifice to them, and they're speaking in their own language, the Lyconian language, so Paul and Barnabas aren't understanding what they're speaking about just yet. But, in verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, again, there's the name and the apostles, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Man, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Wow, what a scene. They're getting ready to offer the sacrifice to celebrate them as gods. Imagine that. And they hear this and being Jews, they know that's blasphemous. They run out there, they tear their clothes. And then we see Paul give this short but powerful little message. But notice what he, he does in this message is different than what he does when we hear his messages in the synagogues. It's different than Stephen's message. It's different than Paul's first message that started off with the history of the Jewish people. Stephen started back at Abraham. Paul started back at Moses and the Egypt, the children of Israel in Egypt. He doesn't start with that because it's not relevant to these people. They are not Jews. In fact, he doesn't start and quote them passages. But what he does do is start with their error of idolatry. And he tries to bring common sense to this. And this is something that Paul did throughout, is try and bring sensibility to this area of idolatry. He does it also in Athens. And here he says, why are you worshiping these useless things? These idols, they don't see, they can't do anything. And he says, why don't you turn from these worthless things and turn to the God who made heaven and earth 
In Romans 1, Paul talks about how the invisible things of God are clearly seen through the creation. In other words, you can understand that God made everything. Why are you worshiping useless things? Turn from these. And he says that God lets you go your own way. And I love how he puts it there because he says, I'm having a hard time seeing here, but he says, in the past, he left all nations go their own way. In other words, he lets you do what you want. But he remained and had a testimony. In other words, he was still able to be seen by you. He provided you with rain, crops, and even joy in your heart. Those things came from him. Why would God let them go their own way? Well, because love has to. Love has to leave choice. And God let them go away their own way, but he kept a witness with them. He kept a sign that they could see who he was, that he cared for them. Remember, Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The idea of rain is a blessing. God blesses the just and the unjust. Why? Because he's giving them testimony. He's remaining witness in their lives that he's there. And so Paul uses this short message to try and communicate the truth, the biblical and scriptural truth, to these people who don't know scripture. And it's short and it's simple and it can barely constrain them from wor their worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And, and what a temptation that would be. People come up and want to worship you as God. There was a Captain Cook who found the Hawaiian Islands before they were called the Hawaiian Islands. And when he came there, the islanders wanted to worship him as the god Lono, L-O-N-O. Because here comes this white guy on the ship and they started worshiping him and paying homage to him and he took advantage of it. He got whatever he wanted. He started taking whatever women he liked and he took one of the women that one of the guys didn't like him taking his woman and so the guy smacked him in the head and he fell down <laughs> and he was bleeding and he was groaning and the guy said, gods do not bleed or do they groan. And Captain Cook's goose was cooked. <laughs> they killed him. Because he tried to take advantage of this. And, you know, what a temptation that would be. They're going to worship you as gods. Oh, cool. You know, but they didn't do that. They didn't fall for it. Instead, they proclaimed the true and living God. And then it goes on. And this is interesting because, boy, are people fickle or what? They can barely constrain them. But then in verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch. Now, Antioch was a hundred miles away. They didn't have automobiles, planes. These people walked a hundred miles just to incite these people against them. These guys were on a mission. <laughs> That's only a couple of blocks, yeah. And, and you know what's amazing is... People will do for evil what people will do for good. Yeah, they, you can get so bent on something that it will drive you. And so these people were willing to walk a hundred miles and 
It says they that some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. It doesn't say how they won him over, but they won him over. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Crowds fickle. They turn. A few chapters, or verses earlier, they wanted to worship him as God. And now they're trying to kill him. They stone him, leave him for dead. They drag him outside the city. And then it says that the disciples gathered around him. And I love the way that just pictures. As they gathered around him, they didn't just leave him and flee. They gathered around him. We don't know what they were doing. Were they crying? Were they praying? Was Luke the physician putting, you know, CPR or doing whatever to resuscitate him? It doesn't say. But they were there. And it's good to have people there when you're going through hard times. You know, when you're... When you're hurt, it's good to have people that are there with you. It's good to have people that are there to be able to help and take care of you. Now, in this story here that Paul communicates this message, you know, it's not an effective witness or testimony at this point. There's not a whole lot of that we see fruit from this. But what he does do is try and bring the truth, again, in a way that they could understand. There's a, a group called Initial Images, and it's an ultrasound technology uh, company that actually receives invitations from public schools to come into the schools to their biology department, and it shows the development of a baby from the infant stages up to birth. Three-dimensional and four-dimensional images with this ultrasound technology. The owner of this company is a believer. He doesn't come with a Bible into the schools and preach that abortion is wrong, but what he does come in and shows the majesty and the miraculous transformation and development of a baby, and they have an incredible effect on the people who see those things. They believe that after viewing this that abortion is wrong being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. If he were to go into the school and say, hey, I want to talk to kids about abortion, I have their Bible, the schools would say, I'm sorry, you can't come in here. But he has schools calling him, saying, can you come and show your presentation? And he goes into the schools, they have the video presentation, it shows the development, it shows the babies sucking their thumb, it shows all the things, the heartbeats, all the information's there, and that truth stands out and leaves an impression. How can we be wise in communicating our faith and taking the truth? You know, if, if, you're, if God has put it on your heart that, you know, you need to make people aware of the, the wrong of abortion, how can I do that effectively? Well, I can get a, a billboard and I can mark it and say abortion is murder. I can stand outside, you know, a place and try and do this. Or this guy went in with this technology and is making a powerful impact. Wise as serpents. We need to be crafty in how we present the gospel. We need to think. I mean, I heard this story and I thought, man, what a great idea. And there's other things in this book that I heard that were other great ideas and there's so much we can do if we just put our mind to it and think and just kind of get outside of 
maybe our box of this is how you do it. You know, you got your four spiritual laws, or you got the Ten Commandments, or you got the Romans Road. These are how the way. There's a million ways. The Spirit of God can lead you in so many ways to present the, the truth of the gospel effectively. And just know that sometimes, even when you present the truth, it doesn't come across. People still have the choice to believe. Here, they turned on them, they stoned them, left them for dead. Now, this is most likely where 2 Corinthians 12 takes place, where Paul had a vision, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body. He went caught, caught up into the third heaven, where we believe that he actually died and went to heaven. Well, let's believe that this is where it happened. He was dead, they drug him out, and God said, no, you're not done yet. Maybe they prayed for him, we don't know, but he came back to life. And what does he do? He goes back to the city. Now, I don't know if he went and hid somewhere or what, but that's what I would do if I had to go back. But then we're going to see that Paul starts going back to the actual same place where these guys who came out and stirred up problems, where they came from. And so he doesn't take the long way home. You know, he doesn't go, well, let's stay away from there. He went right back to where the heat was and continued ministering the gospel. In verse 27, or is it, or 21? 21, okay. Verse 21, it looks like a 7 from here. Verse 21, it says, They preached the good news in the, that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthened the disciples, and, en hey, look at that. <laughs> and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with praying and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is amazing because they were. this whole journey took maybe a year and a half. And so they're setting up elders and putting people in charge who are probably less than a year old in their faith. Isn't that amazing? Why? They believed in the Holy Spirit, that he was able to keep and able to work and able to instruct. And they had faith in God that's just almost embarrassing, you know, to think, oh, my gosh, how little faith do I have? Because, you know, well, we first have to go through our seminars and we have to go through our classes and you have to, you know, go to ministry school. And have you been to Bible college yet? No, we'll come back in three years after you've been to Bible school. And how many months have you been in ministry before you can be an usher? You know, I mean, we got these... These guys were elders, they're pastors, they're in charge, and they're only in the faith for a short period of time. Man, we got to do something different, you know, we got to do, we got to be, we got to connect to the, the living God who's able to input this spirit into the life of believers that you need not that any man teach you, for the Holy Spirit himself will teach you and guide you in all these things. And what an amazing thing. And verse 24 says, after going through... Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God, <clears throat> excuse me, for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with disciple, the disciples. 
and they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> and again, that is so not true. As we get to verse 15, we're going to see there's a lot of conflict in the next, ver next chapter. Uh, and that's just how it is. God does an amazing thing, and then there's conflict. But it doesn't stop the gospel. It doesn't stop them moving forward. And so they return back. They come back to the same route, and they kind of talk about all the things as they're going. They're, they're continuing to see. It says they won large numbers of disciples. Again, they're being effective as they return to these places. They're continuing ministering, and God is doing a work in them. They establish people to take over in these places and establish the ministries there. And what a great thing it is that God is doing in and through them, an amazing work among the people. And what faith they had in God. Throughout this whole thing, it's just they believed God. They believed God. Miraculous things happened. They were beaten, left for dead. They continued ministering. They didn't stop. They moved forward with the gospel. It had a hold of them, captured their lives, may it capture our lives as well. Amen.